So I wanted to do just a quick recap as you're being seated right now of what we just read, just to make sure that we're all on the same page. So here Jesus is. He comes back to his hometown. He's like the hometown hero, the hometown kid, and he's coming home. And, and, and wherever Jesus went, if we read in Scripture, you see that there are crowds that gathered around him. And it says in the text that when he gathered, um, when, when he came home, he was filled with the Spirit, that God's Spirit was moving and working in his life and doing great things. And, and when he was filled with the Spirit, um, he was asked to speak in the synagogue. You see in the text that it says that actually Jesus had been preaching in a lot of different synagogues, but at this point he was um, asked to teach in his hometown synagogue. And it says that everybody was praising him. Everybody was impressed with what he said. And when he stood up to read the scripture, by the way, that's why we stand up when we read scripture, is it's an opportunity for us to show respect for God's word. You know, we believe as a body, as a family, that God's word was given to us to change us, to get a hold of our hearts. My words can't change a thing in your life. God's words are alive, they're eternal, and they change us from the inside out. And so when we stand, when we read scripture, we see that actually in this text. It shows respect for the word. And when Jesus stood and, and um, when he read from the text, he was handed a scroll, and the scroll was from the book of Isaiah. And he, and he looked through it, and he found a specific text that he chose to read. And the text was from uh, Isaiah chapter 61. And it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. After that, Jesus then sat down and he started to preach. So for us, typically, you know, we, um, we like to sit down for certain things or, or when we preach here at Hillcrest, we do what I'm doing right now. We stand up and we walk around and I walk maybe more than most walks so the cameraman's like, whoa, where's he going right now? But that's the way I like to do it. But in Jesus' time, he would sit down, and a lot of people, it was customary to sit down and preach. And so Jesus sits down, and he preaches, and he says something interesting. He says, Scripture has now been fulfilled. And I love the fact that Jesus said that, because, because um, he's saying to the people in the synagogue that the Messiah is here, that through his life, that God is ushering in, that Jesus is ushering in this new era, and this new era is going to be all about what he just read from Isaiah. And again, this probably made the people that heard this pretty uneasy because the Jewish people of the time, they really enjoyed spending time with each other. But getting outside of the walls of the church, getting outside of the walls of their holy huddle was not normal. It was very common for them to just be with people that were just like them. And so when Jesus says scripture's been fulfilled and he says we're bringing in and ushering in this new era, he's letting the people know if I can use my translation, there's a new sheriff in town, okay? There's a new sheriff in town, and there's going to be a new way that we're going to do life. And it's not going to be with just people that look like you. It's going to be for everybody, both the Jews and the Gentiles, which, again, made people very uncomfortable. But it says in the text that the people were, were, were amazed still at his words. They thought his words were really humble and, and gracious, and, and, and yet, yet they muttered to themselves, is this really Joseph's son? It says in, the next, in another text, like, is it, could he really be saying that? 
because these words are really good. And it kind of surprised them. It kind of caught them off guard. Um, and, and Jesus totally picked up on that. And, um, but then they started begging Jesus. They're like, well, Jesus, will you just show us like a miracle? We know you've been all over the land. You've been all these different places. You just came from Capernaum. Can you just demonstrate something for us so that we know that you are who you say you are? Which in some ways I kind of get that a little bit, right? Like, I mean, he kind of grew up with them. A lot of these people were probably mentors in his life and, and they came alongside of Jesus and, 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 and yet it was almost like they're treating Jesus like he's this magician. Jesus, we just kind of do a miracle so we know that you really are this person. And, and Jesus kind of steps back from that and, and he talks about how tough it is now to come back to his own hometown. How difficult it is to preach in his own hometown because of the way people view him and the way people look at him. And then he makes reference to um, something that, that really gets them on, on edge. He talks about an amazing healing that took place a long time before that uh, using Elisha and Elijah when, he, when, when they both went and they helped bring healing to people in the margins. When they went and, and, and these people received something that Israel thought they were supposed to receive. You see, God wasn't happy with Israel a long time before that because they had made all these promises to God that they weren't willing to live up to. If we can pause that just for a second. This morning when I woke up, the passage that I kept going through my head that I couldn't stop thinking about was when Jesus was talking about, um, he tells the story of two houses that are being built. One house has a foundation that's built in a rock and another has a foundation that's built with sand. And it says in the text that, that those of you, Jesus says, those of you who hear these words of mine and put them into practice, you're like the house that is built on a rock. The storms come and they beat against the house, but the house doesn't fall. But those of you who hear these words of mine and don't put them into practice, you're like this house that was built on sand. The storms come, they beat against the house, and the house crumbles. And I love that passage, and I, and, and I think the Lord put it on my heart, and I want to share it with us as we read this, as we, as we kind of dive into this text a little bit more, because, like, we're not here to talk about shalom so that we can just feel good about ourselves. We're not here this morning to talk about God's peace and shalom to people in the margins so that we can look good with the pictures we post on Facebook. We're not here to just do what we're supposed to do because it's Sunday morning. Like, we're here because God has called us as a family, as a body, to hear his words and put them into practice. The world that you and I live in, they're sick of people that claim to be Christians, that talk a good talk, but don't live the life that, they've called to li- that they're called to live. And as a body, God, in many ways, is calling us to a higher standard, to a whole nother level, it's almost like he's reminding us of the era that he ushered in 2,000 years ago, where he's saying, don't be like Israel. Israel talked a good talk, and, 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 and they promised all these things to me, but in reality, they didn't do anything about them. If you want to know what it means to follow me, go to the margins. Go to the places in the world where a lot of people are afraid to go to, and trust my spirit to guide you all the way. By the way, in this text also, when Jesus talks about going to the poor and to the margins, he's, just not, he's not just talking about monetarily poor people. He's also talking about people that are poor in spirit. He's talking about us going to the places where God calls us to go, where people might have lots of money, but they don't have Jesus. 
You see, God has called us to go and to be his representation wherever we might go, whatever that might look like. It was so cool to see the kids this week and, and, and just the, all the different stories that we got to hear from all sorts of different kids and see the amazing ways that God used you, many of you in this room, to speak life into them, to help them see shalom in maybe a new way, to experience what it means to follow Jesus in a new and mighty way. And so back to the text. So, so Jesus shares this thought with the people, and they get super ticked at him. They get super mad because they're like, because Jesus was basically saying, hey, you guys in the synagogue, you leaders here, you're kind of acting like Israel acted a long time ago. And that's what really agitated him. And, and, and he said, if you want to really know what it means to follow me, you need to knock down your walls, and you need to go where I call you to go. And then he was done. And then that's when they wanted to kill him. That's when they took him out to a hill. And it's kind of crazy, but you read the text, and it says, and then Jesus kind of slips away and kind of just disappears. And he's gone. A couple months ago, um, we received, myself and a buddy of mine named Chris, um, we received an email It was kind of interesting. That kind of goes along with what we're talking about here, about shalom in the margins. And in this email, um, it was actually an interesting email because it came from a warden from an, uh, a youth penitentiary. I don't get a lot of those, okay? And so, so this email came, and, and this guy, he was a warden, and he said, I just wanted to share with you a story of something that I've experienced here in the penitentiary. And forgive the shameless plug, but Chris and I wrote a book a couple years ago called Ruin Your Life. And one of the kids that uh, went into the youth penitentiary was given the book. And it's not really a book. More than anything, it's just a, it's a way for teenagers to experience Christ in real and authentic ways. And so really it just kind of sets, it kind of lobs them a pitch to really get into God's word and let it do some work in their life. And so, so this kid got in a lot of trouble, and he ended up going to this penitentiary. And in the penitentiary, somebody gave him this book, and he started reading the book, and people around him started seeing something change inside of his heart because God just got a hold of him. He saw Jesus in ways that he had never seen him before through just getting into his word and experiencing it. And so kids started asking this guy questions, and, and, and even some of the wardens started asking this kid questions. And the more he kind of shared about his life and the more they saw him live it out, people started saying, hey, do you think I could do that too? And so... Um, and he probably wasn't supposed to tell me this, but they started photocopying the book. I don't think Zondervan would like that too much, but that's okay. I think they get the big picture. So they started making photocopies of some of the stuff that this kid was doing and some of the verses that were really getting hold of his life, and they started sharing it with other people, and all of a sudden, those kids started like changing, and things started happening in their life, and, and the warden was just saying, I just want you to know that now everybody in our youth penitentiary has a copy of what this guy's experienced. And we have this huge Bible study where all these people are coming together and, and, and he talked about the peace of God that is ruling inside of this place that we would say is deep into the margins. You see, the beauty of God's word is that it can get anywhere, right? Like every person in this world was created to be in a relationship with God. And so when God calls you and I to get out of our comfort zone, and to step into the margins, he asks us to do that and trust not ourselves, but trust who? Him and his word. And that's the beauty of it. 
That's the beauty of it, is that it's alive and it's active. And so I just want to wrap up our time, and I just want to share just kind of four challenges for us as a church to embrace when we think about shalom in the margins. Because I believe that God has called you and you and you and all of us in this room to go to the margins. That it's not just for keep people with certain gifts, but he's called all of us to enter in to the margins of life and to represent Jesus in a way so that the margins can experience God's peace and so that we together can experience God's peace. So a couple of these are kind of strong, and so if you feel like I'm yelling at you, forgive me, okay? But I really feel like these, these are words that as a body we need to hear. And again, the point here is not that we just go, oh, those are nice thoughts, but that we embrace what it means to live into the margins, that we embrace what it means to be a representation of God's shalom to people, including ourselves, that desperately need to know Christ. And so I, I put them in the category of challenges. So I want to share four challenges. The first challenge is that we need to embrace shalom before we can bring shalom. You and I need to embrace what it means to have God's peace rule in our hearts before we can bring God's shalom to other people. And so that's the question for us this morning. The first question I would pose is, have you embraced God's shalom? Because again, God loves everybody. He cares for you. He loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you and with all of us. But it's important that we look ourselves in the mirror and we look up to God and we say, God, have I embraced what it means to follow you? One of my favorite stories in scripture, I love telling, I probably tell it every time I preach and I'll say it again, is the story of the, uh, the, uh, when Jesus is on the cross and the thief next to Jesus, there's two thieves, right? And one thief is talking all this like nasty trash on Jesus and he's saying all these negative things to him and the thief on the other side of Jesus is, it kind of goes to bat for him. He's like, why are you saying all these negative things to Jesus? He's done nothing wrong. We're up here because we've done something wrong. And then he looks at, the, at Jesus and he says, Jesus, will you remember me in paradise? You talk about people in the margins. Okay, the, man, the, the thief's on the cross. You, you, don't, you don't just like steal an apple at the local market and get put on a cross. You have to do something pretty nasty and pretty bad. And in the midst of being in the margins, Jesus looks at this person who says, remember me in paradise. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. And he got to experience the peace that scripture says that passes all understanding. He got to experience God's peace in ways that he's never experienced it before. And Jesus went with him. And it's amazing. And so before you and I um, embrace shalom, uh, or before we um, bring shalom, we need to embrace it. Um, I, I love, um, there's, uh, there's a book called When Helping Hurts. I don't know if anyone has read it. I know some of you have. But um, the guy who wrote it, his name is Brian F uh, Fickert. And Brian, um, at, a, at a recent conference, actually said this about, um, about what it means for us to go uh, to the margins. He said, um, it's all about grabbing each other by the hand and saying, hey, brother, I'm a beggar too. When we get to go to the margins, when we go to the margins with people and we experience shalom and we go to other people, we're, we're reminding other people that we're all on the same field. We're all together beggars. We're all um, broken people. Scripture says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so let's, let's embrace what it means for us to embrace shalom before we take it. The second thing is, the second challenge is don't just have compassion for people on the margins. Get to know them as your brother and sister. 
I think it's really easy for us to be compassionate people, to want to help people, which is always a good thing, but oftentimes our compassion just stays right there, and we don't take it to another level where we get to know people on a real level. I love the story of the Good Samaritan. I think this is a great example where, where, where um, this man is, is, is clearly beaten, and he's left for dead, it says in the text. And this man comes up to him, and he first shows him compassion, but then he gets on his hands and his knees and demonstrates intimacy. He demonstrates what it means to help someone, to walk with someone. He walks into the margins of life and, and, and gives this example for all of us to follow of what it means to move way beyond just compassion and to be someone's brother and sister. He risked so much by doing what he did, but from his perspective, it was totally worth it. You see, compassion, when we leave it to our own, when we just leave it at that, we miss what it means to be intimate, what it means to be close, what it means to demonstrate shalom in real and practical ways. The third challenge for us is that we need to quit thinking that God shows up when we show up. Again, this kind of sounds like I'm yelling. Forgive me a little bit. But this is something that we talk about on all of our missions teams. When we talk about going to the margins and we talk about living life with people in the margins, oftentimes we kind of get this savior complex where we think that God shows up when our team of people show up. And we forget that God is working, he's active, he's doing things in people's lives whether we're there or not, and he's certainly using other people other than just us. This was brought to the forefront one time a couple years ago when one of our covenant missionaries that we support was meeting with myself and our our teams uh, before we went on a trip to um, Spain, Morocco, and Turkey, and Germany. It was an incredible trip and an incredible experience to kind of experience different cultures. But this missionary sat down in our first training together, and he looked at our team and he said, hey, do you guys think that you're going to change Spain in the week that you're going to be there? Because you know you're not, right? And we all kind of were like, whoa, we weren't expecting necessarily that, right? I mean, those are kind of strong words. And he said, it's not that you're not going to make a difference in people's lives, but like you need to understand that, that the best thing that you can do is, is you can embrace the fact that God's working and he's going to continue to work even when you're not there. And so when you go to Spain, instead of thinking you're going to change the whole country in a week or all these people in a week, why don't you just go there and partner with the people that are there and know that God is at work in everything, in all your relationships. And when you see him, just draw massive attention to him and point to him. And I think when you and I live our lives and when you and I demonstrate what it means to be shalom in the margins... One of the opportunities that you and I have is just to point out God when we see him, to draw attention to him when we see him at work in the world because he is at work and he'll continue to be at work whether we are there or not. But it's a good reminder for all of us. Um, The last challenge for us is to listen intently to the spirit. And you know, I love the fact that it says at the beginning of the text that Jesus was full of the spirit. And when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of our lives and we listen intently to God's word and when, when like like the scripture says, when we put it into practice, God is going to call us to places that we might not naturally go by ourselves. God is going to speak to us in ways that maybe we never thought he would ever speak to us before. 
And my prayer for all of us in this room is that we would intently listen to his spirit and we would go. That we would go wherever he might call us, whatever that might look like. And there are so many people in this room, including David who led us in worship this morning, who just got back from Iraq because God spoke to his heart and he listened and he went. But there are all sorts of people here that when God speaks, they listen. And my prayer for us is that that would just be who we are. I want to actually introduce you to one of my heroes. This is Kelsey Sneegus. And um, Kelsey is a great example, I think, of, of someone who listened to God's spirit. Kelsey, you can come forward. And followed his lead. And Kelsey's going to share a little bit. Um, in, in December, Kelsey and I had the privilege of um, standing before you and talking about an opportunity that she had to go to India. And we thought it would be great for you to hear a little report from Kelsey on, on when God called her to the margins, when God called her to go live life as a brother and sister, or as a sister in Christ with people in India. And, and so, Kelsey, can you share a little bit about um, the experience and what it was like? And really, like, let's talk about like before you went on the trip. How did you see God at work in your own life as he called you to go and follow him? So this is pretty much how it happened. Nate called me. He's like, hey, let's sit down and have coffee. So I'm like, okay. So I go. And he's like, we want to nominate you to go to India. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> okay. God might have spoke to me a little bit too. So, well, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and I was like, okay, um, I want to do it. Let's, let's do this. Mm -hmm. And so I filled out the application process, and it all happened so fast. And before I knew it, I was going to go to India. And I had about a month, two months to prepare, and that meant raising money, getting my visa, and not being 18 at the time, that meant my, both of my parents had to have passports for me to get my visa, and they did not have passports. And so everything just happened so fast, and it was just utter chaos for me because I was like, how is this gonna get done in a month? And I think just getting ready to go to India was just an awesome testimony of how, like, nothing is impossible for God. And, like, if I was supposed to go to India, then it was going to work out. And it did. It worked out perfectly. I don't know if you guys remember, but I stood up here and asked for your support. And um, I didn't have any money raised. And by the time I left the sanctuary, I had $5,000. And my trip was fully raised. And so... You guys, yeah, <laughs> yeah, thank you. And so, you know, something that seemed so impossible was made possible because God worked through you to work through me and to touch these people. And um, so everything just happened so fast and it was chaotic, but it worked out so perfectly that I knew like this trip was just gonna be amazing. Great, so, so God certainly worked in your life before that. And, and he certainly gave you his peace, his shalom, and, and a heart for people in the margins before you left. But how, how did that shalom translate when you were in India? You had never been on a missions trip before. You'd never certainly been to India before. How did God use you and speak to you um, and, and give you peace while you were there? Well, we partnered with the Hindustani Covenant Church, and really their goal is just to touch the untouchables. And so we really got to experience all the projects that they were doing. And so we went to hospitals, and we went to safe homes, and we went um, to schools, to slums, to villages. And this all happened in nine days. So we really got to experience everything India had to offer in nine days. And the inter interesting thing is, 
Um, there are three caste systems in India. There's the high caste, the low caste, and then the outcasts. And only 9% of the 1.2 billion people in India are high castes. So every, everyone else um, are the untouchables. And whatever family you're born into, that's pretty much where you stay. Mm -hmm. And so we got to partner with the Hindustani Covenant Church, and um, we got to go love on those um, that those that are just undesired by everyone there. And there's one story I want to share with you guys. Um, we were able to spend the night in a village, and um, we all had our own little host families. And the people there stopped at nothing to show us the love that, like, Jesus would show us. And I was just extremely humbled by their hospitality. And so our host family um, cooked us dinner, and we were sitting there and eating, and they were watching us, and they were really excited. And um, once we told them that we were finished, they took the food and went into a different room. And when I looked, they were eating our leftovers. And just like seeing that and just how selfless they were to us um, was extremely humbling. Um, and I just, I keep thinking about how like God really turned everything upside down and like he didn't call the rich people to change the world. Like he called the poor mm -hmm. and the undesirables to really just make an impact. And they made an impact on my life. And um, there's one other story really fast. We went to the largest dump in all of Asia. And around this dump was a village. And the children's job in this village was to get up at 4 in the morning, go and pick um, trash out and sell it to raise money for their family. And since these kids are making money for their family, they really don't have time or the need to go to school. And so the Hindustani Covenant Church put all these different um, informal schools around the village to give these kids an education. Um, so we went into this dump and we saw this little boy and we asked what his name was and we asked how old he was. And um, he, he was like 12 to 15 because he doesn't even know how how old he, he is, because he doesn't have a birthday. And we asked what his job was, and he was um, in charge of getting all the rubber to sell for his family. Um, so we followed him to the school, and I, my heart just was broken for these children um, that were just in these horrible conditions. And, you know, I was never thankful for school. I, you know, I don't think anyone really is. But then, like, after seeing that, like, I couldn't help but sit in my desk the next week and just be so thankful for the opportunities that I have here. And um, we were talking to the kids at this school, and we asked, so, like, what do you guys want to be when you grow up? And we heard nurse, we heard astronaut, we heard scientist. Um, like, these kids have so much hope in themselves, and um, I think that's just God, like, bringing peace to mm -hmm. the chaos of India and just um, instilling hope in themselves. And it was just very, really, really cool to see that and all the excitement that they have for their future. Mm. So, yeah. Cool. And kind of wrapping it up. Um, so you're here now. Mm -hmm. How has God, like, spoke to you? How has his peace been evident in your life as you think about the future? Um, honestly, when I think about my future, I don't really think of peace because, well, just like this trip wrecked my life in the most beautiful way possible. And I thought I like, I had my plan down. I was like, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to study special education and, um, just be a teacher for the rest of my life. 
But honestly, now I have no idea what I'm going to do because I feel called to do missions the rest of my life. And I don't know if that means like um, studying special education and then taking that overseas or um, I really don't know what that means, but I'm just so thankful for that because if I didn't have this opportunity to just go out of my comfort zone, you know, I, mm. I would be doing something that I don't think I was called to do. Mm. And so, yeah, this trip definitely like wrecked my life in the most beautiful and beautiful way possible. Awesome, so, perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you, Kelsey, for sharing with us. So here's my question for you and for myself. Are we willing to let God's word get a hold of our lives in a way that using Kelsey's language would wreck us, that would take us to places we would never go on our own? You know, when God's peace gets a hold of us, those are the things that happen. So where's God called you? Maybe it is to India. Maybe it's to the workplace that you work in. Maybe, maybe it's to the gym that you work out in every day. Maybe it's the team that you're on. Margins are everywhere. It's not just the poor. It's also the people that are poor in spirit that don't know the Lord. My prayer for us as a church is that God's peace, that his Holy Spirit would get a hold of our hearts in ways that is so evident and is so clear that we can't help but be moved to action. We do not want to be a church that goes through the motions. We want to be a church that chases after the peace of God and demonstrates to other people as we link arms with them, not just out of compassion, but because we're brothers and sisters. And that we link arms with them and we say, let's do this together. Let me show you what the peace of God can do when it gets a hold of your heart. Because it's changed my heart and I pray that it changes yours. So will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for this church. God, I thank you for your word, God. Lord, we can't thank you enough. Lord, you, your word, when, when, it, when it hits our hearts, Lord, you, you remind us it doesn't come back void. Lord, your word shapes us in ways that if we were left to our own, we'd be completely hopeless. But because we can trust your word and we can trust your spirit, God, you, you offer us this peace that goes way beyond our understanding. So, Lord, as a church, Lord, we pray that you would send us out. God, that you would, that you would draw us closer to you. God, that, and, and as we're sent out, Lord, that we would not try to dictate, Lord, where we're going to go. But, Lord, as your spirit moves... May we move, and may we trust your voice. May we trust your peace. And God, may we move to the places where you call us to move. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.